Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And the Oscar goes and to. And the Oscar goes And the Oscar to... goes to. Gentlemen, my only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Could have been a contender. Fasten your I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Welcome to the next best picture podcast. And the Oscar goes to the shape of water. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 110 of the Next Best Picture podcast. Time of recording is 11.08 a.m. on Sunday, September 30th, 2018. I am your host, Matt Neglia, and joining me today, I have Will Mavity. Hi, everybody. Ryan C. Showers. Hi. Uh, Michael Schwartz, and also, too, Michael Schwartz is a birthday boy. Happy birthday, buddy. Yes, thank you. My birthday was yesterday, so this is my first podcast at 23. Thank you very much. Hello, everyone. Such a baby. I thought you were in your 80s. <laughs> Wait, you're not in your 80s, Michael? Yes, this is breaking news for the podcast. I'm not 83. And we also have Katie Schaefer, everyone. Hello, hello. All right. So this has been, uh, I, I can't even like, I, I don't, I don't want to like undersell it. This has been like an amazing week has for it? me personally. <laughs> okay, for you. I'm thinking for part of the Listen, I don't want to start us off on the wrong note with that, but while there were things happening in the real world that were truly horrific and drama-inducing, and ugh, I got the chills just thinking about it right now, <laughs> I, I just so happened to have the maybe quite possibly the best cinematic week of my life, and that really kind of helped me personally to get through <laughs> this week. So... I can't speak for everyone else, but I will speak for myself and say that personally. That's that's how that's how my week went. Um, with that said, though, I'm not the only one that saw a lot of stuff that's pertaining to the Oscar conversation this week. Uh, will Mavity, you saw some stuff. Uh, Katie, you saw some things as well. And I want to uh, give everyone an opportunity to talk about that. So what we'll do is we'll go day by day throughout the course of the week. We'll ex- express what it was that we saw, give our thoughts on it. I don't want to give too many thoughts because some of these are going to be podcast reviews. But let's uh, definitely get at least some questions answered in terms of the Oscar conversation for some of these. Um, we're also going to go over the polls in this in this week's episode. It's the end of the month, so we have some winners to announce for our throwback review, our Less Best Picture series uh, podcast review, and some new polls uh, to go up as well. And we have a lot of fan questions uh, that we wish to answer on today's episode. So let's dive right in first and foremost let's talk about what went down this week for us as it pertained to the oscar race so i want to actually first start off with uh sunday so last sunday okay when we recorded episode 109 did anybody see anything last sunday i did simple favor (laughs) wait okay so let's start off with that Uh, a simple favor will what'd you think yeah it's 
fun. It can't ever decide on a tone. It drags a little bit and it gets a little too up its own ass as far as the mystery goes. But I applaud Paul Feig for doing something atypical for him. And I did love Blake Lively in it. It's like the epitome of a six out of ten. I got to ask a question because I've been hearing some rumblings about this online. Are critics groups going to go for Blake Lively and supporting actress? Oh, come you on. Should, I mean, yes, to the extent that they went for Tiffany Haddish last year. So I think yeah. she will show up at, like, the Utah Film Critics Awards. They're the ones who gave Rose Byrne Best Supporting Actress for Spy, by the way. And I, I think she'll show up, but it's not going to make the jump to Oscar nomination. Okay. I saw it, too, and... I keep hearing everyone talk about Blake Lively. I didn't like the movie so much. I thought it was just sort of convoluted and ridiculous, and I don't know what it was going for, which is a shame because I really like Paul Feig and his work. But even Lively, like, I don't know, maybe she was doing something that I couldn't see. Oh, she was great, Michael. I don't know. I, I wasn't even a huge fan of Tiffany Haddish last year when she was getting those awards notices, and I would have preferred her over Lively. All right. Anything else from Sunday last week? I saw The Land of Steady Habits on Netflix. Oh, tell me about that. I am a huge Nicole Holofsner fan. You know, Friends with Money, Please Give, Enough Said. Those yeah, you really liked Enough movies. Said that year, I remember. Yeah, Enough Said and Please Give was like really the movie that established her as one of the great auteurs of the 21st century for me. I really, really loved her work. Out of all of her films, I would say this is probably her weakest. It's not a bad movie, but it just doesn't feel like any of her other projects. And that's not always a bad thing. But this just felt a little too bleak coming from her. Uh, like Catherine Keener was sort of fell throughout it. Ben Mendelsohn is great, but none of the characters here were really that likable. And I just kept thinking, why does this movie exist as I was watching? So it wasn't a terrible movie. Like, there's good stuff in it. But I, I, don't, I can't say I would want to see it again. Okay, that's fair. And speaking of dark Netflix films, uh, Hold, Hold the Dark uh, from Jeremy Saunier uh, premiered actually this this weekend over on uh, Netflix and I haven't had a chance to watch it yet, but um, I've been hearing uh, that that's very much in line with his previous work. <laughs> if I, if I uh, would be so bold to, bold to say so uh, an interesting week uh, to say the least for Netflix, especially with some high profile releases to come later on in the year. It seems like they're really starting to, uh, I don't know, for lack of a better phrase, get their shit together and release some stuff that is generating a lot of uh, audience interest at least. Okay. Uh, let's move over to Monday. Um, I will uh, start off with Monday. I saw Beautiful Boy. And uh, where do I begin with this? Not so beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Timothy Chalamet, I've heard people say that he should go lead. I think that's a really bad idea. I think if he goes supporting, I think there's a really strong chance that he gets in. However, because he is the only nomination possibility I see for that film in any category whatsoever, I could see a world where he gets snubbed at the internet, you know, and all of his fan base goes into a rage-filled shit fest. So he's very good. I think he's worthy of a nomination. It's not as strong as his work in Call Me By Your Name last year, but at least he gets to show a lot more range uh, with this role. And, I mean, it's it's no surprise. He's one of the best up-and-coming actors that we have today. And if he continues with roles such as this, um, he could be even considered one of the all-time greats, uh, considering how young he is and how much he has left to show us. So that's my, that's my take on that. Do you guys have any questions about it? I do, um, Matt. So I've been... Um analyzing the best supporting actor race. And one of one thing that occurred to me is 
you know, Beautiful Boy comes out, what, um, October 12th. Mm-hmm. So, you know, could it be that um, he, that Timothy Chalamet, you know, he makes the Critics' Choice lineup, he makes the Golden Globe, and let's just say he makes SAG, okay? But then something fails, like, to translate from... 18 to 19 and Oscar voting doesn't start until January 5th. And just think about that October 12th to January 5th. That is a long stinking time to maintain buzz for a film that isn't being that well received and that you're the only nomination for. Um, Could he, uh, could there be some last minute shuffling where, you know, he maintains some buzz in the fall, but then whenever the new year hits and something like backseat comes out on Christmas day and that kind of takes center stage with buzz where could it could he be lost in the shuffle or be replaced by someone who has buzz at a better time 100 percent, yes i agree um because like i said before this is not going to be an across the board oscar contender across things like picture director screenplay and so on and so forth the only thing that i think it's gonna be him or bust right it's gonna be him or bust and the only thing that i think can help the film is if the public turns out for this and gives it great box office and it generates huge word of mouth. Now, I want to be very clear when I say this, though. This movie is very depressing and it is uh, pretty dark at times, but it feels very much like Hallmark movie of the week. Yeah. So I... I, I legit, but here's the thing though. I legitimately could see general audiences potentially turning up to see it um, in that vein. And and let's be clear, this is not getting poor reviews to the point that this is heading towards a bomb in terms of the box office. It's getting average to positive reviews. And that's kind of like where I stand with it as well. I'm like smack dab in the middle. There were things that I absolutely hated. There were things that I absolutely loved. But at the same time, it could never kind of cohesively come together for me to lean either way. Now, I don't know. I don't know how general audiences will respond. I think they're going to respond more positive because at the end of the day, I do believe that this is the kind of story that they sometimes tend to eat up. But in it, but like I said, in a depressing way, not in a uplifting, feel good, blindside, hidden figures sort of a way. Is this a recovery movie? Like, um, don't worry, he won't get away or he won't get far on foot type thing? Or is this more like family story? This is a this is a relapse movie. Mm, okay. Let's also not forget that it is, I think, one of the best-selling memoirs about parenting and addiction of all time. The book is tremendously popular. A few years ago, you know, it was all over the Oprah lists and every book club read it. So as far as people going to see it, even ignoring Chalamet, we're forgetting that like every, you know, middle-aged person in a book club read this thing. I mean, I know people who are very familiar with the source and that's okay. going to help. Right. Yeah, but the same thing could be said for like songs. the secret life of bees. Uh, that's a good point. So, okay, Matt, is a win out of the question? Here's... Where I land with this, I personally don't think he's going to win, but I could see a world where they jump the gun because of the residual love from Call Me By Your Name last year, and they give it to him too early. My my stance on Timothy Chalamet since last year has always been he is the new Leonardo DiCaprio. He's got a huge fan base at such a young age. 
you know, the ladies are into him, the men are into him, and he's going to continue to evolve as an actor. And I don't think he's ever going to make the jump to big blockbustery type films like DiCaprio did. He, he's instead going to go for directors that he wants to work with, that want to work with him and tackle on these smaller projects. And I could very well see him getting snubbed some years for some performances, and I could see him getting nominated. But I think that they're going to wait like they did with DiCaprio. So can we add, can we just go around the the, the group and just say um, T- Timothy Chalamet? Are we predicting him or are we not predicting him? Because I'm so on the fence about what to I should win? do. No, to, just to be nominated. Yeah, I think he's going to get nominated still, but like for a win, uh, fun stat I found in 50 years, only twice has this category ever had somebody win when they were their film's only nomination, and they were both the overdue veterans, Christopher Plummer and Jack Palance. Oh, there you go. He's good for a nomination, at least right now. I mean, we'll see how the category fills up, but uh, no, he's totally out the window for a win, as far as I'm concerned. He's still in the running for a nomination, but I don't even have him in the five at the moment. Oh, really? That was my question. Mm. Yeah, do we have him in our five? Because he's like, he is my number five. Daniel Kaluuya is six, and I don't, I'm kind of like weighing back and forth who I should put in for my big piece this week. I have him down at number eight. Ooh. Wow, that, that that's a little low, I think. Who do you have above him? Uh, I'll go one through seven really quick. Mahershala, Richard E. Grant, Sam Rockwell, Daniel Kaluuya, Sam Elliott, Michael B. Jordan, Steve Carell. I would put him above Michael B. Jordan at least. Yeah. Wait. Oh, Steve Carell and backseat, gotcha. Yeah, and and backseat, and the only reason why I would have him also above Steve Carell and backseat is just simply because we don't know anything about Vice. Sorry, the movie's called Vice. We don't know anything about Vice yet. We will on Tuesday. That is very true. That we'll get a tr- we'll get a trailer on Wednesday. I am excited for the trailer on Tuesday, and we'll have a good sense of Amy Adams. And I hope she has like a good like you know sassy moment. <laughs> You're just a bunch of boys. Mm-hmm. We'll get we'll get that uh, that Oscar clip from her in the trailer. <laughs> more on that movie in a moment. Will? Yeah, honestly, I'm starting to get more and more on the predicting Michael B. Jordan train. If in part just because he's going to have Creed right now, and I'm just. I'm feeling the love for him right now, and I'm feeling the campaign they're going to run for that film. They were the yep. first FYC side up and running, and um, I, 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 we discussed this off air. I want to say I think there is the possibility that we have Oscar history, and four out of the five nominees end up being people of color this year, which we've never had in any category, acting or otherwise. So I, I think there's a decent chance where Sam Elliott ends up as our only white acting nominee this year in that category. It should be pretty insane. Oh, I would say pretty Grant over Sam yeah, Elliott. Yeah, I think we're jumping the gun here, trying to, yeah. I could see three. Four might be a stretch, but there's a world of three. Well, okay, so like uh, Brian Tyree Henry, Mike, uh, Matt, I know you're going to address Beale Street later on, but while we're talking about this category – uh, I saw Clayton Davis at Award Circuit has decided to predict him just because he's having such a good year between Atlanta Widows and Beale Street. Is that and a Tony just, nomination? And a Tony nomination. I mean, is that narrative enough to push him in, compounded with that performance in Beale Street? Was it enough for Stuhlbarg last year? <laughs> That's that 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 is my comparison because um i uh, brian Ty- brian tyree henry has a scene in beale street that is a stunner and it's a monologue and it's awesome and it might be my yeah. favorite scene in the whole movie 
but that's his only scene in the whole movie. Sounds familiar. So uh, we'll get we'll get to Beale Street in a little bit. Uh, before I go on, I do want to say I think Steve Carell is actually miscast, and a lot of his scenes where he's like shouting and screaming, uh, it it really reminded me of Michael Scott a lot. Oh no! Yeah. <laughs> I just didn't buy the authenticity of that performance like I did with Chalamet. Chalamet, I thought, was really giving it all and like really was living in that performance. Where Carell, it just came off as whiny. Like I almost half expected his voice to crack in some scenes, you know, and have it be unintentionally hilarious. But well, you know who's supposed to play that part before him, right? It could have been worse. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> who? Mark Wahlberg. Ooh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Ooh, no, please. Ooh, no. That would have sunk um, Timothy Chalamet for sure. Yeah. Definitely. I think this movie is going to end up like Last Flag Flying. And I don't just say that because of Steve Carell, but think of it. It's like a fall premiere that gets middling reviews released by Amazon. They don't really know what to do with it. And I think it's just going to falter. I want to say for the record, too, that Carell does give it his all. And you could tell he's really trying. There, He even has like a, a few crying scenes. But. There's just something about the tone of his performance that just never kind of settled in and worked for me. Oh, and one other thing, like I was saying before, he, in my opinion, is clearly the lead of the film and Timothy Chalamet is, is clearly supporting. And I say this because more scenes are told from Carell's perspective, even though we do get a few scenes from Chalamet's uh, perspective. But Carell has more uh, to work with there. So that's my... That's my final say on that. Can I just reference, uh, can I just um, respond to something Michael said? Yeah. Um, I think that's an interesting comparison um, to Last Flag Flying, but I think the difference is um, Timothy Chalamet really is the it boy right now, and I think that's a factor that Last Flag Flying did not have. And that's yeah, but we also real- should remember that Chalamet had a movie that came out this summer called Hot Summer Nights. It's true. And if he were really such an it guy right now, you know, why didn't that movie make any mark? Lack of distribution, Lack of marketing. A24 buried it. Yeah. They were apparently ashamed of it. But I I, I hear what you're saying there, Michael. Uh, Let's move over to Tuesday. Uh, Who would like to go first for Tuesday? Anybody see anything on Tuesday? I rewatched something on Tuesday. (laughs) What would you rewatch? I watched La La Land again. (laughs) (laughs) I hadn't seen it since it was in the theaters, and I wanted to see it ahead of both The Star is Born and First Man because I felt like it was appropriate for both of them. Well, Will, like you just mentioned there speaking of la la land yeah i saw first man and got my ears rocked i i i think it's a very well made film technically chazelle's direction is extraordinary uh, they really put you there in the cockpit i think gosling is very good i mean he's playing a lot like his character in drive a very kind of restrained quiet figure better than i expected to be honest yeah, he does. He does a really good job with that. Uh, it's just not necessarily the kind of performance the Academy is going to go for. Oh no, I think he's good for a nomination, but not a win. Yeah, and it um, the sound is some of the best I've ever heard. Uh, the cinematography is strong. The score is great. It just has kind of a kind of dry. Here's what happened. Then what happened, and what happened after that. Uh, feel to the script that I think holds it back a little bit from true greatness because Chazelle's direction is so great and the script is just kind of journalistic and cold. And I know its subject is cold, so maybe that's why. But it's like, you know, it's Josh Singer 
wrote Spotlight and he kept the very journalistic style from Spotlight, but also was like, let's drain the emotion down even a little bit more. See, um, I saw First Man the day after Will, and while I agree with a lot of your points, Will, um, I think I'm leaning a little bit more in the other direction with the screenplay where I genuinely felt that reserved nature of the emotion like, like you're talking about really kind of came through at the end. And even though it is subtle, that contrast of how subdued it is in the first 75% of the film and then in the last 25% of the movie where it kind of it, it comes through and especially the way he chooses to end the film. I mean, my God, Damien Giselle knows how to end a movie. Um, I, I genuinely did feel the emotion in that moment and that kind of helped to pull it all together for me just a little bit more. Like, I... I, I definitely think it's going to be maybe a tough sell for some people in that regard, especially when you have a character, like you said, that's hard to emotionally connect to. But I, I think they do enough with it to uh, help, help you get around to it by the end, at least. It sounds like it suffers from the, you know, from being too close in adaptation, because that is how the book is. I was wondering if it would, because when you're reading the book, it's very dry and that's how Neil comes across and so it's interesting I wonder I'm excited to see it because I'm excited to see how how well Chazelle does the adaptation Mm. it wouldn't be easy to adapt in the slightest it is this happened and this happened and this happened we'll be talking about that I believe with you in Mm -hmm. like a week so our our listeners can hear about that and uh, to echo what Will was saying about the technicals as well I am supremely confident that this movie is winning best sound editing and i i say that today obviously opinions can change i know a lot of us are thinking a star is born is going to take sound mixing because of the live recording musical element but i would not be surprised if first man pulls a hacksaw ridge dunkirk winning uh sound uh, both sounds one of the sounds whatever you want to say and film editing as well wouldn't it be funny if two Damien Chazelle films won for sound mixing, except for the musical? That would be pretty funny. I mean, Whiplash is kind of useful. Uh, and Will, I also have to say, too, um, just in regards to outside of Gosling's performance, for anyone that's curious, uh, Claire Foy is uh, pretty locked and loaded for a nomination. But to me, it's the kind of performance that's the you're good enough, you're having a breakout year, welcome to the club nomination i don't think she is a threat to win it's not it's like there's no one else to even knock her out of competition so i think she's pretty firmly in there even if she's number four or five exactly well and two other things about that a it is they try their best to give her something to do but at the end of the day it is the quote-unquote wife at home role and i want to just expand upon that really quick because will you're 100 percent right that they try to give her a lot to work with and i think it is enough for that nomination but where i think the film fails in its screenplay and where i will give you some uh some kudos you know because you point this out to me um when we were talking off air Every character in this movie outside of Gosling and Foy gets absolutely nothing to do. And that supporting cast is filled with so many good names of people that are recognizable faces who we know. And they genuinely, genuinely do feel wasted, in my opinion. I I, I almost wish it was Foy, Gosling, and the rest were all unknown character actors or just people that are not stars that we know. 
because that that would have uh, that would have distracted me a lot less. Totally agree. The score also is amazing. Like I, I haven't seen Beal yet, so I, I don't know what our competition is. But I fa- right now I'm predicting him to win sight unseen since we don't think Ad Astra's coming out this year. Well, can I make a transition then? Yeah. I saw Beal Street could talk on Tuesday. Ah! And I don't think it's as good as Moonlight, but I gave it the same grade that I gave Moonlight. And I do think it's a 9 out of 10 film. And it's... It's more, how do I say this? It's more expansive than Moonlight in terms of how many characters he does focus on. But it still has that reserved, very intimate quality of filmmaking that he um, displayed with Moonlight. Yeah, I thought Moonlight was a good movie. I didn't love it the way that so many people did, but I thought it was very well done. When I saw the trailer for Beale Street, I immediately got this reaction that didn't, didn't feel all throughout watching Moonlight. And it was that this is sort of a bigger story and i think that's what's appealing to me more here yeah because moonlight's focusing on one character and that character's very personal journey of self-discovery as he ages um this movie is about a family unit and it's about the two people in that family played by kiki lane and stephen james who are both really good by the way everyone is so good in this this is a sag ensemble nominee if you know potential nominee if i've ever seen one and it fo- the story fo- mostly focuses on them, but the supporting characters in this movie, as we discussed earlier, Brian Tyree Henry, Regina King, um, there are cameos by Diego Luna, by Pedro Pascal. Dave Franco. Dave Franco shows up. That that moment's a little mm, – there were like some – there were some laughs in the audience that were not intentional. Doesn't he play an Orthodox Jewish character? Exactly. Yeah. Is Franco even Jewish? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're they're really Jewish. Riley Keough's in it, isn't she? I don't remember seeing her, but she's apparently she's only in it for a minute, literally. But she's I in legitimately it. do not remember seeing her at all. But um, Will, if I had to, if I had to rank them right now, I think Beale Street score has a better chance than First Man. But we are into 2016 duking it out uh, between Justin Hurwitz and Nicholas Bertel all over again, I think. Hmm. Interesting. Any questions about Beale Street? Can Regina talk? King. Oh. <sighs> this, is t- <laughs> this, is, this is tough because this is all pertaining to another film I'm going to discuss that I saw on Friday called The Favorite. Yay. <laughs> I think that depending on how that plays out and who gets nominated where, I think that Regina King has a very very, very good shot at winning Best Supporting Actress for Beale Street. That would be terrific. You know, she is so beloved in this industry. She has, um, she's not in the movie as much as I thought she was going to be, and her performance is not loud like uh, Naomi Harris's performance was in Moonlight, Um, but it's the kind of performance that the way I see it is like, if Mahershala Ali could win for such a subdued performance for Moonlight, there's absolutely no reason why Regina King, when she has a crying scene, when she has emotionally charged scenes, where she's got great zingers in the script that, you know, land with such a powerful impact, um, there's no reason why she cannot win. There's a, let me tell you something too also about the screenplay for a moment. Uh, There are a lot of, great lines in this screenplay that landed so well with the audience that was watching it live. A lot of like, like there were a couple of like insults thrown and things like that where the audience was like, Ooh, and just like very reactionary. Um, I could very well see it obviously in the adapted race and, you know, just to 
piggyback off of that. I think this is an across-the-board contender-type film. Picture, director, acting, screenplay, cinematography, the music, maybe the film editing. It's not as flashy as Moonlight was in terms of how it jumps around the timeline, but at the same time, there are there are enough moments where you know, if they really do embrace it that much, I could see film editing coming along for the ride. All right. Well, that's really good to know because it seems like everyone who's seen this movie has pretty much loved it. So yeah, yeah. I don't see why it wouldn't, wouldn't be an across the board contender. Could it win picture, Matt? No, no, no. I don't think this is a picture winner. Could he win a overdue director win? I think that it's so oh, it's I think it's good for a picture nomination. He is the. Him and the film editing are the two categories where I could see it not getting in. And it's not because it's not worthy. And it's not because, you know, he definitely should get in. But with director, as we've talked about over the last couple of weeks, I don't know yet who is going to get in and who's going to get dropped. Because it seems like we have eight names fighting for five slots. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's just going to be like, like, like 2012 was where we had like nine names fighting for five slots and we knew there were going to be casualties. We never in our wildest dreams thought it would be Ben Affleck and Catherine Bigelow, but th- there it was. That's still so bizarre to me. I don't want to talk about it. Well, I think that that's what we're <laughs> heading for this year. I really do. Uh, later that evening, I saw Luca Guadagnino's Suspiria. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh. Tell me about that's the score on that. I, I, oh, so we're talking about Tom York. Uh, I'm sorry, we're talking about First Man and Beale Street score. Tom York's score for Suspiria is my favorite score of the year. And it's like one of those things where I, I think like on merit it should get nominated, but I, I definitely have to put on my Oscar goggles and say to myself, they're never going to come anywhere near Suspiria to give it a nomination anywhere as deserved as it is. That's like that's like last year where Mother had clearly the best sound work of any movie last year, but they wouldn't ever dare nominate it because it was Mother. That's what Suspiria is this year. But is, totally is the score, that. is it, li- you know, is it listenable or is it more experimental like some of Greenwood's work where it's like... <laughs> A mixture of both. I-, I kid you not, there were some moments in this movie where the score was absolutely beautiful and gorgeous, especially like some of the piano work. I was very, very surprised that it was not, like you said, like more experimental, kind of unnerving horror almost. It has moments of that, don't get me wrong, but it was just a, it was a lot more exquisite than I was expecting it to be. The movie itself, I still have no idea why it's two and a half hours long. I have no idea why. But yet it's so weird because even though it's got some of the worst pacing of any movie I've seen this year, the scenes themselves are edited in such a manic frenzy styled way that it reminded me so much of Moulin Rouge where it's like I have no idea why they're cutting so much but it's keeping me so invested for some reason (laughs) you know Um, outside of the makeup and the music even um, song I I could see a world where song is on the table Um, that and that's me being so optimistic there's just no way they're gonna go for this movie (laughs) this movie is this movie is the mother of 2018. It you really know, Matt is. sent me a message after he saw this movie, and the message just said, don't even bother. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> the truth comes out. Yeah. Well, for you, Michael, yeah. <laughs> I, I just can't see you, because you, you tell me all the time, sometimes length is an issue. Um, I, I just, like, I just can't. I can't see you doing it, <laughs> you know? 
tell me about the makeup beyond a certain actor who we all know is actually playing a character in the film buried under old age makeup that I'm not going to spoil in case you somehow haven't heard about this. Mm-hmm. Other than that character, which it looks like the makeup is very good. Is there any other makeup in the film to make it contend overall? 1000% yes. There are some, there is a full body at one point that I, I don't want to give spoilers, but there is a full body that is so completely disfigured and disformed. Oh, lovely. From head to toe, covered in like just so much makeup and it's disgusting and it oh my god it was it 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 was incredible incredible work Matt the more you talk about this the more excited I am to see this movie this is so entirely awesome I I legitimately cannot recommend this movie um to anyone I think on this show except maybe Beatrice because she loves shit like this oh but me too. like for anyone who has ever expressed like disdain for to put it bluntly the fucking weird <laughs> realms of cinema um this is this like this is david lynch andre tarkovsky igmar bergman and stanley kubrick their minds all coming together to form a demon spawn of a film called suspiria <laughs> and in, fuck yes exactly so if that's if that's your reaction to it then yeah definitely go check it out imagine all the like Timothy Chalamet fans who'd love Call Me By Your Name who are going to turn out to see this because they just see from the director of Call Me By Your Name. Oh, no, the Dakota Johnson fans uh, is the one, are the ones I'm thinking about. Oh, God, no. They're gonna, not going to like Dakota Johnson this. fans are going to go be like, oh, I love Dakota Johnson. Let's see what's going <laughs> on in this movie. Fifty Shades of Grey. And I'm excited to see her performance in this because I think underneath that terrible awfulness that is Fifty Shades of Grey, I think there's something hiding there from her. And I'm hoping it will see at least a little bit of it. In she's decent in a bigger splash. Yeah, she's she's shown uh, some uh, what she's capable of. I think a lot of times, but um, to be honest, though, Katie, this is not a movie where even Tilda. I love Tilda Swinton. There is zero characterization in this movie, so as a result, the performances are not. They don't stand out. This is this is a movie where like Luca's style and what he's going for in terms of just all aspects of filmmaking from the sound to the editing, the cinematography, like that's the stuff that you get lost in while watching this. And that's what, I, that's what I will leave to leave this on. This is a movie that you get lost in. This is not a movie that you sit and enjoy. Sounds like it's a, a worthy successor to the original. Then I watched that recently. and was like, okay, this is an Argento film through and through. Yeah. And it's so different from that movie. So, so different. So if you like the original and you're hoping to see like a version of that here, temper those expectations <laughs> no i'm ready for something new but in that same vein of like we are going to be super weird and we are doing our own thing very much and that's i like those kinds of things uh katie want to talk about what you saw on wednesday all right so wednesday i saw a star is born and <laughs> i can't believe that my that, that, that we got that? it here first I'm sorry, Katie. Nobody's going to own up to it. Wait, was that Ryan who screamed? Who did that? No, it wasn't me. Like, what the fuck? It was Matt. No, it was me. It was me. Matt, Matt, you sound like Ned Beatty in Deliverance when you did that. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Ned Beatty sounds more like Ned Flanders. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um, sorry, Katie. Sorry, Matt you. ever making noises like that. I'm so excited for this movie. <laughs> you should be, Matt. You'll love it, I think. <laughs> I... Jesus Christ. I went into this skeptical and this is someone who I've been listening to Gaga since she started and she was, I was both 
the most excited to see her in this. And not very, because I was like, oh, I've seen her act in other stuff. And I was like, you're doing your best, honey. You're really trying, but you're just dressed up Lady Gaga. And I think in this, she actually brings something to the table. And she's very worthy successor to Streisand and Judy Garland because they're what this movie needs is a woman with a big voice and a commanding stage presence. And I said that in my review and that's, uh, that's what she has. She captures the audience. And even though it's, it's kind of supposed to be more about Bradley Cooper's character, Jackson Maine, he kind of is eclipsed by her role by the end of the film. So, but I loved it. I That's thought the sound the mixing was gorgeous. <laughs> what? Isn't that the point? Yes. Yes. But in this, it, Cooper almost feels like, I don't even know, like he fades into the background by the end, but it's almost like from the time when he meets her, he's just, he's no longer very interesting. You kind of know what's going to happen with his character and even how he plays it. Like he's at his most interesting when he's talking to her and looking at her. Otherwise it's kind of like, all right, yeah, we've seen this before, especially from Cooper and other movies. Um, I, my, my number one question to you, Katie, and this has been on my mind now for a few weeks since the idea was put out there. Could a star is born win the big five? That's picture, director, screenplay, actor, and actress. Oh my. Maybe. It'll depend entirely on whether or not people can buy into what Gaga is bringing. Um, Cooper definitely stands the best chance. I would say best director is the most likely among all of those. Oh, well, uh, more hey, so than him. Director, actor? not actor. No, way more so. He's Wait, okay. Really? Are you kidding me? Wait, so is it. Is his directing pretty flashy? Because we haven't done directing just because we like the movie in like a decade. Um, it is flashy. And well, I don't know if flashy is the right word, but it is very decisive and I almost obvious. Like he manages to make the concert footage some of the most interesting scenes in the movie. How he how he moves the camera, how he lights everything. Um, it feels very purposeful and it is to those of us who watch movies the way that everybody on this podcast does, it's obvious. But to people who don't, I think they'll just really feel like it's it's a good watch. You know, it's it's not noticeable unless that's what you're looking for. And Cooper, I thought he blows it out of the water in that regard. But as actor, we've seen this performance from him before. He's good so, in it, but it's not going to top other performances this year. So how would you compare his work here to his other three nominated performances? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, less obvious than those. He's very much... Uh, like wow. I said, he fades into the background with Gaga. It, it's... So he's not a, so he's not a slam dunk for best actor like we all thought is what is what I'm, what, we, what I'm hearing here. That's correct. He is not. That's but very I mean, different from what I've heard before because me it too. Seems like it's so weak in the category. I mean, why wouldn't this four time? Isn't he going win? like Jeff Bridges and Crazy Heart? Isn't he all speaking like this and stuff? Yes, he does. He does. But there's, uh, I don't I don't know how much to say because that's does kind of cry? a whole point. Oh God, yeah, of course he cries. So what I'm getting from this here is I'm getting that this is the kind of performance where this is not going to be people's favorite performance of the year. Like there's not going to be as much passion maybe behind it as uh, I look at something like last year where Gary Oldman won. Uh, there was a career overdue factor there. And obviously the passion was with Timothy Chalamet. 
Um, it sounds to me like Cooper is not the one that's going to have the passion behind the performance. However, there might be external factors that could give him a win, such as um, he himself is looked at as overdue. <laughs> he himself is looked at as somebody who wrote, produced, directed this movie, put his heart and soul into it. That Those kinds of factors sound like could propel him to a win, but not a all-time greatest performance, one best actor sort of a deserved win, if that makes sense. Correct. That's that's about how I would say it. He if if he gets a lot of sympathy for those other factors, then yes, it could. But I think that that is going to propel him to best director, because like I said, his directing is just off off the chain, if you will, pardon the expression um, in this. And I was shocked by it. Wow. How well he sculpts that movie. That, that kind of helps the case, though, for the big five, then, if we're going to get maybe he could win both. Yeah, he could. He totally could. I'm not discounting him. And I don't well, I, I still think he should be in the top five. I think he'll get a nomination. I just don't know if this performance is enough because, you know, what I felt while I was watching it, I was like, wow, you're doing a really great Chris Christopherson impression right now, dude. This is good because <laughs> well, I watched that the 70s version a couple weeks ago and it's like from the beginning it is spot on to what christopherson did mm. katie can i ask so how do you think academy academy members will respond to this because chris tapley came out with a like a, with a piece um a few months ago where he said um they are going to absolutely eat this shit up not direct quote but yeah I think the Academy will really like this movie. It has um, a lot of moments that are really powerful. Like the first scene where they sing together, which is the shallows. Uh, like I got chills. Which by the this... way is on iTunes. I've been listening to nonstop. Yes. It's okay. It's fine. Okay. <laughs> I've heard it works better in the context of the movie. I'm it sure works it does. Great. It's no born in a trunk. And I, so I do want to say about Sam Elliott, um, I don't think that he, after watching this, I was like, oh, he's not going to, I'd be amazed if he gets a nomination, honestly. <gasps> I mean, he could pull it off, but he's in the movie for about 10 minutes. Wow. Yeah. Babes, but like, so was Allison Janney. Allison Janney only had 12 minutes of screen time in Itania. He doesn't make enough of an impression. It's not like Allison Janney where she is a huge driving factor. He's just kind of there you know and his it's just they don't give him enough to work with no none of the no one besides cooper and gaga makes any impression whatsoever even um oh what's his name dave chappelle's clay oh dave chappelle's in the movie for about two minutes <laughs> if so that. does sam elliott have a scene at least he has uh two big ish scenes with cooper and then one at the end with gaga and that's Does he it. cry? Even, yeah, he cries. Anne Thompson okay, said there's a scene he has in a car <laughs> where he looks at Cooper, and she said that's the scene where she knew he was a lock for a nomination. Yes, that I can think of that scene, but he just doesn't do enough. He's just there to like, so Cooper can have revela emotional revelations at him. Uh, so here's what here's the comparison that I overheard. I I had overheard that this could be an Alan Arkin type scenario where. The performance is good enough and he may not be the focus of the movie you know he may be in it for a very short amount of time um but the movie itself is beloved and he as an actor is beloved and he's also at the age where it's like we've never acknowledged you before with a win here here you go and 
um, we're happy we could do this for you. Right. We've seen this happen before, have we not? We have. And it could, in this case, I just don't think there's enough compelling stuff for Elliot to do. He just kind of is there to be a reaction machine. And you don't even get to see him do the reacting. It's just so that he can kind of poke Cooper into having his reactions. And that's sad because I love Sam Elliott. And I was really hoping to get to see some stuff from him. And it just, there's just not enough for anything for him to do, sadly. So if he does get it, it'll be because, um, because of the Academy's love for him, because they love the movie. It won't be because of his performance, because he just doesn't have an opportunity to really give one, I think. Wow. Or enough of one. Okay. So I could be wrong, but that's my impression. <laughs> I'm, I'm good on the questions with this movie. That That's all very, very interesting to hear that you would say that out of all the three actors, Gaga it made the most, m- the biggest impression. Yes. Wow. Yes, she does. She's, she's transformative in this movie, I would say, in the way that in the beginning, she is very, she is one thing. And then by the end, she is something entirely different. And you get to watch that all unfold with her. The performance scenes, the musical performance scenes are an absolute lock because nobody can do it like she can uh, since probably Madonna or like you can't help but watch as she, you know, uses that voice of hers. And the final scene, oof, tears. Okay. Tears from everybody. You know, it was a decade ago, like exactly from when this is coming out that she dropped her first songs to Mm -hmm. us. It's only been 10 years since Gaga released... Like poker face and just dance just on dance. us, which is pretty crazy. She's been around for ten years, and I could probably only name one of her songs. I have like no idea anything about Lady what? Gaga. What, what, Michael, Michael, what the fuck? Kill him now. Uh, the, the first time I really noticed her was her Oscar performance when she sang The Sound of Music. Jesus Christ! <laughs> oh, that's the right. And this ever. Poker face is the only song I know of hers. This will win best song, I think. Will will win. Uh, what, what, my question is: Is it going to be for the shallow, or is it going to be for um, the, fi- yeah, the final song? I think it'll be for the final song, honestly. But shallow stands a really good chance. That I couldn't say for sure which one, because there's lots of good songs in here. Um, so we're heading for a La La Land scenario, where the more well-known yeah. song, the song in the trailer, uh, ends up maybe possibly taking it. But there's another song that. Is also her Oscar moment, would you say? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Definitely. That's a really powerful scene. All right. Um, I do want to just say for the record that I also saw on Wednesday Shoplifters, winner of the Palme d'Or at this year's Cannes Film Festival. Um, definite foreign language film nominee. Um, I know we don't normally get a chance to talk about the foreign film category that much here on the podcast, and a lot of that is because we kind of tend to wait until later on in the year when, you know, the submissions have been uh, put out there and, you know, we kind of have an idea of which films are going to be representing their respective countries and such. But this movie is uh, the real deal. It's heartbreaking. It's very relatable. It's um, very involving. It's well shot, well acted. It's paced well. So uh, that's definitely a contender there for sure. Uh, Will, you also saw our foreign uh, language film contender this week, right? I did. I saw a possible future best makeup nominee in the vein of Man Called Oove and a hundred men, old year old man who climbed out the window and disappeared. That's a mouthful. This was Border, which is a Swedish film that the best way I can describe it is if you married Shrek 
and the girl with the dragon tattoo series, <laughs> then you <What>? would <laughs> get this. It is a magical realism film about trolls falling in love that is also a gritty film noir about child porn. So um, there's a lot to take in there. And it doesn't always work because unsurprisingly, when you mesh Shrek and the girl with the dragon tattoo, the tonal balance and just generally the like 60 different plot threads proves a little difficult to contain, but it's certainly memorable. So it, it's weird enough and unique enough. It could definitely get a foreign film nomination. The lead actress is really good. I'm more confident in the makeup, although that field is great. But yeah, it's um, it stands out. We'll say that. All right. Interesting. I, I'm going to try my best to see it. Uh, especially if it ends up cracking uh, the nominations in makeup or foreign language film for sure. Um, but man, that that description, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> All right. Oh, and it has the most memorable sex scene in cinematic history. I've never seen anything like it. Wait a minute, more so than Team America World Police? Yes. More so than Anima Lisa? Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is This is insanity, man. It's crazy. Okay. It's troll sex. I don't even know what to say to that. Um, no. Anybody else have anything else that they want to say for Wednesday before we move to Thursday? Okay. Uh, Thursday. Anybody see anything on Thursday? Yes. The Kavanaugh hearings. Oh, God. Oh, oh no. God. Well, That's the worst horror film of the entire century, oh, okay? I just... But I, I think um, Kavanaugh should be in the running for the Razzie for um, Best Supporting Actor. Yes, we can all actor. agree on that. Yes, yes, Fuck yes. yes. He, that was so feigned. Um, whatever. All right. I like don't, don't get me started, okay? I'm not going to get you started. We'll leave it at that. Um, I saw Old Man and the Gun on Thursday. Our review is up on the site from Beatrice. Her thoughts echoed mine, and we did a podcast review of that. So if you guys want to know more thoughts on that, give that a listen. Uh, suffice to say, no predicted Oscar nominations for The Old Man and the Gun, but a very light, breezy, and entertaining film. So in other words, it's my Suspiria. Hey! That, that's a good comparison. Sure. <laughs> uh, I saw two L.A. Film Fest films. I saw You Can Choose Your Family, which is from Miranda Bailey, long-term head of Cold Iron Pictures and producer of Diary of a Teenage Girl and Swiss Army Man and stuff. And... This is her directorial debut as Jim Gaffigan and that guy who plays the asshole in Love, Simon. Uh, oh, and uh, Skyler from Breaking Bad. Anna Gunn? Yeah, Anna Gunn. Not going to say it's a slam dunk, to put it mildly. It's a fun concept. Wait, wait are, you talking about, are you talking about when you say slam dunk, you mean like even in terms of gaining distribution? Yeah, I, I mean, they said they're not done editing yet. They they screened it at South by, and they screened it here, and they're still making tweaks. But it's it's a fun concept that can't decide its tone, and you can't really cast Jim Gaffigan in a movie and not let him be funny. Um, so I think there's a reason it hasn't been picked up yet. I respect the effort, but was not that impressed. And then um, I'm going to refrain talking about Brian Banks as much as possible, but it, it won the audience award at the LA film festival. Uh, there, there's interesting material to be found in that film. I just think it didn't pick the right time to be made is all I'll say. Yeah. 
And for those unfamiliar with the uh, story of Brian Banks, it's based on a true story of um, an American football player, NFL football player now, who earlier when he was in college, Will, is that correct? Uh, high school. High school. High school. Uh, was accused of rape, uh, went to prison, and later on it was found out that the uh, accusation turned out to actually be false. Hence, yeah. So I could I could totally understand with everything that's going on right now why that movie uh, distribution would probably be zilch, I would imagine. That's probably going to stay on the shelf forever, do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean... Uh... There, there, there is a possibility. I mean, winning the audience award will help, but it'll. I don't think anyone would release something like that wide right now. So it, it might be in two years it comes back out. I wasn't that taken by the filmmaking either on its own, but obviously some audiences really liked it since it won the audience award. So yeah. Who knows? But yeah, I, I think it could end up like the the Benedict Cumberbatch Thomas Edison movie where it just kind of disappears oh my god I, I i you actually just reminded me like that movie has not come out <laughs> no i don't think it ever will it premiered at tiff last year and then weinstein happened a few weeks later and it just was it's buried somewhere we're finally going to get that movie the upside with brian cranston and kevin hart juliana margulies nicole kidman oh my god that's such a ryan showers movie. that is right ryan showers that's that's that has my name all over it jesus all right friday the beginning of the new york film festival opening night film Yorgos Lanthimos is the favorite. I was there. What'd you think? It is my favorite film of the year so far. And in a week where I saw First Man, If Beale Street Could Talk, and Suspiria, and so many others, uh, this movie, for me, was my absolute favorite. (laughs) Um, I think it's my favorite Yorgos Lanthimos. I loved his style. I loved the writing. I loved all three of the performances from Stone, Coleman, Rachel Weiss, and surprisingly, I loved Nicholas Holt as well, where, you know, in another time, another year or whatever, um, I could see if they really wanted to embrace this film a lot, he could even contend for a Best Supporting Actor nomination, but A, he doesn't have the standout scene, and B, this is all about the ladies. If Nicholas Holt and Jennifer Lawrence were still together, can you imagine, like, if Jennifer Lawrence played the Emma Stone role? Uh, oh, wow. Wow. Um... And when you see the movie, you're going to realize why your comment there was actually uh, pretty pretty funny, actually. <laughs> uh, this, this movie is dark. It is entertaining. It is wicked. It is everything that I want in cinema in terms of all the different aspects of production. You know, editing, cinematography, makeup, costume design. Like, it's like everything just kind of came together to formulate something that just was so much fun in a, like I said, in a very wicked and dark kind of way. My only criticism that I have for the movie is that it is a little too long. It's two hours long and it moves at such a whip crack pace that by the time we get to like the last half an hour or so, um, and and the movie's broken up into acts. So like you have act one, act two, and it displays on the screen. And, you know, you're starting to say to yourself like around that hour and a half mark, all right, we're up to like act five. And then when it goes beyond Act 5, it's Act 6, then Act 7. And then I'm like, all right, well, it's going to end at 7. And then Act 8 comes on the screen. And I'm like, when is this movie going to end? <laughs> and how is it going to end? And it, it did start to feel a little repetitive, I would say, by the time we got to the end. That would be my only criticism. All right, Matt, let us talk about the three women, their category placement, your preference, lay it on us. 
Uh, my preference for the three ladies in the favorite, if it were up to me, and it's not, thankfully, is I would put all three of them in supporting. And the reason why is because I viewed this movie as an ensemble in the same vein as something like Magnolia, where there is no definable lead. And when you have a situation like that, everyone just simply goes supporting. Think of Spotlight as another example. You could try to make an argument that, I guess, Michael Keaton is lead, but really they're all supporting. And so they all go supporting. But for the sake of getting nominations, they're probably going to have one go lead. And if I was Fox Searchlight and I had to make that decision, I would put Emma Stone in lead for a couple of different reasons. One is because... She is the title of the movie. She is the favorite. Um, She's the biggest name of the three. And a winner. And I do believe that more scenes, and I'd have to see it again to know for sure, but I'm pretty positive more scenes are told from her perspective than the other two. If you had to guess screen time, how would you rank them? Emma Stone probably has, Emma Stone definitely has the most screen time. Okay, well then that settles it. I yeah. mean, like, so what about between Coleman and Vice? Oh, um, you know, anybody saying Coleman should go lead, I think is kidding themselves. I think Coleman should go supporting, and I think that she wins supporting if she does go there. I mean, who has more um, screen time, her or Vice? Uh, surprisingly enough, I think Rachel Vice does. That, and that's what I figured. Yeah, I figured that Stone and Vice would have the most, and she would have the least, which is funny since everyone's pushing her lead actress and to be honest too i know a lot of us are iffy on rachel vice's chances of getting a supporting actress nomination um i think the most the best thing we could all do until you know the critics awards start um and maybe we start seeing trends start to develop i would put both of them in supporting and put stone in lead and just hedge your bets yeah that's how it should go because then you give coleman an opportunity to possibly win it and then put stone where she belongs having just been a recent winner in lead well, and plus these, uh, if you read these reviews and the reactions out of this, like, I mean, we can sit back and we can try to play a puzzle game of, you know, best supporting actors and, oh, well, there's probably not going to nominate two from the same film. That's bullshit. You know, these reviews basically at the same, the same rate and may have a little bit of an edge, um, but she, her reviews are pretty, pretty excellent. Like, I don't think that this is going to be a either or. I think this is an all combined especially since this movie is going to be such a best picture contender you know actors are going to love it these rules are so juicy i think all three of them get nominated let me be very clear about this too um rachel vice is excellent Mm -hmm. in this movie to ryan's point so yeah i would not be taking her lightly at all i think coleman has to show your role and i think and, and in my opinion this is my favorite emma stone performance Wow. My absolute favorite um, that I've seen her give. I know that that's not going to be true for everyone on this show. And I know that's not going to be true for everyone in life. But she is. this is my favorite Emma Stone performance I've ever seen her give. I think that she is so diabolical, so cunning, so smart, so funny. Everything she does in this, and she's just so entertaining to watch on screen. Okay, well, and what about original screenplay? Is, does it, is, is the, can we inscribe the name? Um, I don't know if you can inscribe, but I would. I think it's a safe bet to have it in your number one spot right now. I want to remind everyone that even though this is definitely Yorgos Lanthimos' most accessible film to date, this is still a Yorgos Lanthimos film. Excellent. And what that carries with it is 
a degree of darkness, a degree of humor that is, you know, pretty, pretty, like, I just want to keep emphasizing it's dark. And this is not your, this may not be your fully embraced type of movie. This is more of a uh, movie, I think, that's very niche. Uh, but at the same time, it could propel it enough to get that win. I, I'm a little skeptical on it winning screenplay at the moment, but the the uh, competition in original screenplay is such that I feel comfortable having it number one at the moment. Is it kind of like I Tanya in that where the you know the performances are going to push it, but it's it's too dark for mass appeal? Um, I could see a world where, and will I thought about you. Uh, while watching it a lot because there's a world where for example some people I think are going to hate your ghost Lanthimos's direction with the movie and the cinematography because I did get Les Miserables vibes from the use of wide angle lenses the fisheye lens and the uh, off off kilter framing and like why is he doing this but I could see him missing in director I don't see the screenplay missing but I could see it not winning I I don't think it's a best picture winner this uh, movie to me is a costume production design supporting actress potentially for Coleman uh, scenario. What about makeup? How's the makeup? Oh, it, like you know, in the in the same vein as something like uh, there are moments of makeup for sure. There's even moments where makeup is worked into the screenplay. The hair, the wigs, yeah, absolutely. I could I, if if they want to go hard for it and really embrace it in so many categories because I remember I did my Oscar prospects when this was all done and I just started going through my mind I was like okay editing costume design production design makeup and by the time I was like done I was like this movie stands a chance to get like twelve nominations like on its best day ever and I was like oh that feels a little high for a movie like this um, but yeah no this is this is definitely an across the board movie even even surprisingly sound. Like, I, I was blown away, actually, by the sound in this movie because it takes place in large rooms, long hallways, and the sound of footsteps and, you know, voices and so on and so forth really carries through the environment. Um, so, it like I said, it depends on how much they want to embrace it. We've seen them uh, embrace weird technical nominations for films they loved before, Three Billboards and Best Film Editing, for example. Any other questions? I think that covers Any it. questions? Okay. So, uh... That wrapped up my week. Uh, did anybody else have anything else? That was it. I didn't watch anything on my birthday, so. Aww. I've been watching. I've been rewatching um, the Halloween series from one to ten, and um, you know, I'm not really gonna say much. That's just me. I'm okay. having fun. Hey everyone, I'm Jason and I'm Lee, and we are the Atlantic Screen Connection podcast. We look to take a magnifying glass to the films you love with a warm atmosphere and a good laugh. New releases, retrospectives, and absolute classics all reassessed and reviewed. Check out the ASC podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes, or keep in the loop on Twitter by following me at film underscore faculty or Lee at Big Pick Reviews. That counts as a promo, right? Right. All right. Cool. All right. Well, I guess we'll cut here. See you later. <laughs> Welcome to the Atlantic Screen Connection Podcast. Uh, let's move on to the polls. This is the end of the month of September, and as a result of which we have a lot of polls to discuss here. I want to actually just start off with the weekly polls. So last week for The Old Man and the Gun, we asked everyone which is their favorite film starring Robert Redford. A lot of choices to go through. All is Lost, All the President's Men, Butch Cassidy, Sundance Kid, Horse Whisperer, Jeremiah Johnson, Natural, 
Destang. I mean, like you you name it, it was listed there. Uh, let's start off first with Michael. What do you think won the poll, and what would be, what was your choice? Uh, what do I think won the poll? Well, my choice, first of all, was The Way We Were, as I said a few weeks ago. You know, love that movie. It's my favorite Redford title. The winner, uh, did you say All the President's Men was on that list? Yep. I think that won. Okay. Ryan? Um, same as Michael. Okay. Katie? Uh, I agree that All the President's Men will probably win, but for me, it's The Sting is my favorite of his performances. All right. And Will? I'm going to go with The Sting. Okay. And the winner of the poll with 18 votes was All the President's Men. And in second place was The Sting. In third place was Butch Cassidy in the Sundance Kid. Uh, fourth place was the write-in category, where we had some write-ins for Captain America, the Winter Soldier, Sneakers, the Electric Horseman. And in fifth place, we had... Ooh, there was a huge drop for fifth place, but uh, The Natural came in fifth place. So where did my beloved The Way We Were end up? Uh, that would came That came in sixth place. Okay, not terrible. No, not at all. Not at all. You did good, Michael. Uh, moving on from there, this week's poll pertaining to A Star is Born. Which is your favorite performance by an actor or actress who directed themselves? There are so many to list here. I, I can't possibly go through them all. Go ahead, Michael. Oh, I'm going to go first. Uh, you know what? I'm going to go with this because not. I don't know if it's necessarily the best out of all these picks, but it's certainly well, one yeah, that's your favorite. Yeah, close to my heart. And that is Barbara Streisand in Yentl. Very good. Ryan? Um, Orson Welles. For Citizen Kane? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Katie? Uh, I'm going to go old school and say I think the best is Charlie Chaplin and the Great Dictator. And so far, all these are nominations on the list. Will, how about you? I was also going with Welles. Although, I want to give a shout-out for something that wasn't on the poll, which is Eastwood and Unforgiven. Yeah, I chose Eastwood for Gran Torino. Uh, don't ask me why. I just thought that that film was the more beloved, I guess, by audiences. And if you want to vote for Unforgiven, just check Eastwood for Gran Torino. We just sort of picked one movie for each actor because you wouldn't exactly, have a yeah. super long list. Right. Uh, my choice would probably be... Oh, there's so many. Uh, I would probably say Orson Welles for Citizen Kane as well. But if I just don't want to be repetitive, I would probably go with, you know, I, I got to say Denzel Washington's performance in Fences is pretty incredible. Yeah, that, that is yeah. really, really something else. Yeah. All right. So that poll is up on the website for everyone to vote on. And now we're moving over to the end of the month, the throwback review and last best picture results oh boy i haven't looked at these yet so here we go let's see what won out here so we'll start off with the throwback review the throwback review was pertaining to a star is born the choices for what we review on the podcast for the month of october were crazy heart new york new york a star is born from 1954 a star is born from 1976 and walk the line what do we all think, one? I've watched three of these five movies in the past month. That's good. Mm -hmm. So you so you're pretty much ready then. I think it's gonna be one of them. Mm -hmm. It's both Stars Borns and New York, New York. So let's see. I'll actually go in reverse order. Fifth place, twelve votes. New York, New York. Fourth place, thirteen votes. Crazy Heart. Third place, eighteen votes. A Star is Born from nineteen seventy six. 
Second place with 49 votes is Walk the Line. There we go. And first place with 53 votes is the 1954 version of A Star is Born. I will be on to discuss it. That is, without uh, having even seen the 2018 version yet, this is the best one. 54 is the best. Okay. And now we head over to Last Best Picture. For the month of October, the choices were, get ready, Ryan, moment of truth, American Hustle, Apollo 13, The Lost Weekend, The Red Shoes, and the original A Star is Born. So, in fifth place, Will will be happy to hear this, is The Lost Weekend (laughs) with 30 votes. In fourth place with 42 votes is The Red Shoes. In third place with 102 votes is Apollo 13. So that leaves American Hustle and A Star is Born. Yeah, it's a shame the Lost Weekend were in higher. Brett Kavanaugh could have been on to talk about that. Oh, my else. God. <laughs> <laughs> I love I beer. beer. <laughs> Sometimes I've had too many beers. Have you we ever blacked out, Matt? I don't know. Have you? Oh, wow. That was the worst. I mean, that's just pathetic. I know. Okay. The vote split is 177 to 122. In second place with 122 votes is American Hustle. Okay. So it's going to be a Star is Born filled month here at Next Best Picture. We're going to be reviewing the original A Star is Born and the 1954 Judy Garland version. And they are both great. Michael, can we expect to have you on for both? It looks like it. You know, I've made it a point to watch all the previous Star is Born uh, films ahead of this new one. So they all have their great qualities, but... uh. You know, 37 and 54 are better than 76. What I probably want to do is I probably would like to do A Star is Born, obviously, this weekend on the podcast, the latest one, and then maybe go in reverse order, do the Julie Garland one next, and then the original afterwards to close out the month. And I think that would be an interesting way to uh, take a look at each one of them. Yeah, for sure. All righty. And now for this month, for Last Best Picture, we'll keep it going from here. Uh, we picked six movies that are coming out in the month of November, and... Um, Best Picture winners, nominees that loosely are somehow, you know, related to those. So bear with me if the comparisons are not so apparent, but I did my best. So for Boy Erased, The Imitation Game. For The Front Runner, Frost Nixon. For Widows, 12 Years a Slave. For Green Book, Driving Miss Daisy. For The Favorite, Amadeus, and for If Beale Street Could Talk, Precious. Those six movies, The Imitation Game, Frost Nixon, 12 Years a Slave, Driving Miss Daisy, Amadeus, and Precious are going to be up to vote on starting tomorrow on the website. And those six movies, by the way, Boy Erased, The Front Runner, Widows, Green Book, The Favorite, and If Beale Street Could Talk, those are the six movies that are also up for the throwback review which whatever uh, one of those wins in the first two weeks of the month, we will then have another poll up in the last two weeks uh, with another round of selections pertaining to that winner. And that movie will then be our throwback review for, for November. Okay, moving on from that. Let's, let's answer some of our fans' questions here on the episode. Uh, we got a couple of them that got sent in. We always appreciate everybody's uh, feedback for that, and we appreciate your support. Uh, this one comes from Richard Houlihan. He says, crazy thought. But hear me out. 
With Green Book winning the TIFF Audience Award, should we expect to hear Peter Farley's name in the Best Director conversation, whether critics' awards or industry awards? If Adam McKay could do it, why not? Well, I think that's a bit of a stretch, and what Adam McKay did with The Big Short is really pretty daring and artistic, whereas this sort of seems like by the numbers. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, next question from HLVD Movies on Twitter. What do we all think about costume design at the moment? There are so many good contenders from Fantastic Beasts 2, Mary Poppins, The Favorite, Nutcracker, Mary Queen of Scots. What do we think? So they're asking what we think is going to be nominated? I'm not exactly sure. They just say, what do you think about it right now since there are so many contenders? I would say The Favorite is probably out front until we see yeah. what's going on in Mary Queen of yeah. Scots. But then there's also Black Panther, Mary Poppins. Fantastic Beast, even the Nutcracker in the Four Realms. You know that might not be a great movie, but it looks great. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't. I, I can't see anything beating the favorite. Like really, I mean, that's the only Best Picture nominee in the. Also in coming from uh, previous winner Sandy Powell. Yeah, Sandy Powell is beloved. The only other thing I can see is if Black Panther ends up with like maybe five or six nominations, this could be a place to reward it. I agree. Not over the favorite. Uh, well, no, I I agree. I mean. Black Panther had, we all kind of said earlier on in the first half of the year that if Black Panther did not get a single nomination, the one nomination that we all were in agreement with that it should get was costume design. Remember, they gave Sandy Pell many nominations, but not many wins. She said three wins. That's that's Yeah, but when was the last one? A couple of years ago. Okay, next question. Uh, This one comes from your girl, Abigail, on Twitter. Any thoughts on Bird Box's Oscar prospects? Uh, Will, aren't you seeing that soon? Uh, no, I mean, like, I don't think they've started screening Bird Box anywhere. That's not from what we've heard really on the menu as far as Netflix considering it to be a real contender. I th- it's just not one they're going to do a big campaign for. I mean, it sounds interesting. It probably will be a good solid sci-fi. It's got a good pedigree, but... I don't see Bird Box showing up anywhere in the awards race. It's coming out the end of the year. It's going to be almost entirely seen on Netflix. And it's basically a horror film. I mean, it's you're blind. It's like a quiet place, but instead of sound, it's sight. And you have to stay blindfolded the entire time. You're being hunted by creatures. Like, yeah. that's, that's not an Oscar film. But it's probably good. Uh, this one comes from EW.2480 on Twitter. Hello, everyone. Uh, which movie or movies contending for best picture fares the best chance of avoiding controversy, avoiding overhype, and maintaining buzz all the way until Oscar night? So basically he's asking, what is the best picture winner as we enter into the month of October right now? Um, God. Ugh. Roma? Honestly, I don't know that I'm predicting it to win best picture, because it just doesn't seem like it's going to have as much passion. But I think the film that will most avoid controversy is First Man, if we ignore that stupid American oh, well, Yeah, I was going to say, it's already started. That, I mean, not gonna... Yeah, but that doesn't, that's not, that's not going to impact Oscar voters. I mean, they don't care about that. They almost all know that's a sham. And the, the internet will not be able to produce the think pieces about it that it will on Green Book and A Star is Born um, I, I, I think Roma could do it, but I do still worry it's going to be a little too quiet and personal for the Academy in the same way that they didn't react to boyhood. So but here's uh, the thing about first man. Also, if you take the whole stupid fly controversy aside, you're going to have people like 
I don't know, Buzz Aldrin and Neil deGrasse Tyson going to analyze every single, you know, scientific element of this movie and say, oh, well, this didn't line up the way it's supposed to. Yeah, but we always get that with space films. I've never seen that derail. And also, I mean, when was the last time you saw a space film win? That's a good point. But like freaking singer. I mean, like this is they they were so obsessed with the details. I think this is going to be that's part of the reason it sometimes feels a little dry is because they're like, we want it to be exactly like it was down to the smallest detail. And also no one's going to hate it. It's going to be a preferential ballot. I don't see it getting a lot of ones on ballots, but I also don't see it getting a lot of like nines. So I think it's going to get a lot of two, threes and fours. And as we've seen lately with things like spotlight, that may be just what the doctor ordered for a winner. Um, I will also say for the record, I don't I don't foresee any controversy with if Beale Street could talk. How can you ever forgive me? I don't think it's going to win or anything, but I don't think anyone's going to like attack that for any particular reason. That's a good point. I, I, I haven't thought of I haven't thought of that, but I, I do still have it in my best picture nominee uh, nominations predictions right now. So well, can I just bring up something about First Man? Did it, like so the the reactions out of Telluride were massive, and I don't know based on what you both said about the film today, they seemed a bit like overreactions. Uh, I will say this, and I don't want to speak on behalf of Will, but for myself, I know I liked the film more than Will did. And I would say that my reaction to the film upon walking out was exactly what you would expect from me. I loved it. It is currently in my top 20 of the year. It's not going to make my top 10. Um, It has enough flaws with it that I don't have it in my top 10, but I still very much loved the film. But those reactions that I'm telling you, Ryan, they were like, this is the best thing since sliced bread. You won't, if, if you're, this isn't your number one, you're dead to me, which like, I don't know. <laughs> well, welcome to the world of, tw- welcome to the world of Twitter and festivals. Yeah. You saw after, after, Telluride ended, Tapley tweeted that he's like, the reaction to First Man was more mixed on site than it might seem on Twitter. I mean, he pointed that out. Can we also point out that the film has a rating of, what is it, high 80s right now, Rotten Tomatoes? It's not in the 90s right now. Yeah, yeah, it's it's 80s and Rotten Tomatoes and low 80s on Metacritic. Like, there, there are a lot of, like I think, like Time Magazine and uh, The Wrap or someone. There's several outlets that were much more respectful than actually liking it. It's still one of the best movies of the year. It's just not, it's not the, I don't think it's the passion. You it's, like your ninth, it's like your 18th favorite of the year, Matt. Yeah, it's in my top 20 right now. Exactly. I mean, so that, you know, like when you're saying one of the best movies of the year, <laughs> when you're getting to like number 18, what does that even mean? You're, well, you know, well like, uh, can we also point out that I see more movies than you do a year? But still, Matt, I mean, you know, I, I don't know. I just think, you know, Oh, well, this is the 34th guys, best movie Guys, guys, let's be very it's... clear about this, okay? Let me be very clear. It's going to get a shitload of nominations. It's not going to miss Best Picture. It's not going to win Best Picture. That, that is the answer. Thank you. That you're all looking for from this, I think. Thank you. Okay. Moving on to the next question. Jeff Marshall on Twitter asks, do you realistically foresee any actor or actress ever coming close to nearing Streep's nomination record? No. No. No, and no. they shouldn't. Unless if they nominate Timothy Chalamet every year for the rest of his life. And they won't. <laughs> and they won't, exactly. <laughs> Nobody comes near near the queen. Come on now. Andrew Beck, uh, at Drew Beck on Twitter, asks, in terms of acting categories, there's a good group of former Oscar winners entering the race this year. Yep, that is true. Who do you think has the best chance of getting their second Academy Award? Uh, he also asks if Emma Stone has any chance. 
Uh, so we're just talking about acting nominees or other? Uh, he's saying he's saying acting categories. Okay, well, of the four predicted winners I have, none of them are previous winners. So that's something, I guess, if you're looking Can I say for, for the record, I think the person who actually stands the best chance, and especially after Katie's comments today, I'm starting to, I'm starting to think Christian Bale. Oh, wait, someone is a former winner. What am I talking about? I'm looking. I'm looking at the wrong category. Mahershala, Mahershala Ali. Ali. And, yeah, Mahershala. Yeah. I mean, as supporting actor starts to become like more and more tepid in the reactions to some of the contenders, one thing that seems like a sure thing there is Mahershala Ali. Yeah, I definitely have Mahershala Ali. Yeah, he, I think he's. What about Viola Davis? No, no I think she's, uh, that's a stretch. Even an I don't know. I need to see the. I need to see the film to know. I I I can't offer these reactions because everybody is praising her, but. Obviously, they're still... But not as a Best Actress winner. No. They're praising well, her as, that's... Oh, she's good. She rocks this movie. She's kind of a badass, but um, let's not pretend like this is Fences. Exactly. That's why I, I, I know for myself I need to see the movie before I, you know, go there. She's probably not even going to get nominated. Like, come on. Well, see, see, no, but, but you see, like, that's exactly what I'm saying is I'm not leaning towards your side of the fence yet, Ryan. I'm still in the middle. Okay. Fence. There you go. Yeah. Uh, Andrew Purr asks who would be your ideal host for this year's oscar ceremony or does it even need a host christine it always needs a host i love the host i love the monologues or the musical bits whatever i mean it's as long as it's a good host that's i mean what you need to keep the show going along why don't we just bring hugh jackman back yes maybe some some neil patrick harris but you said you did or did not want Neil patrick harris I do. I like NP. Oh, I thought he, he was one of the worst hosts. That yeah, I was going to say, he didn't really work out as well as I expected. I love that opening number, though. Yeah, but then after that, it was just kind of like... Yeah, that pretty much sums it up. I still <laughs> for some stand of us, for Stephen not for Colbert. Everyone, I, 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 say, I say just keep it with Kimmel until, you know, your ratings no. are so, so terrible. I, I, I really do like Kimmel and would like to see him back, but at the same time, I would like to see a female host come to the show, which I think they're really... Yeah. Why don't we get Amy Poehler and Tina Fey? People talked about that for years. Because they're terrific, mm-hmm. but I think they're very much four years ago. You know, they don't but, really do big, broad comedy like they used to. They're more invested in, like, executive what? producing and writing and doing things like that. Why not Tiffany Haddish? That would be I perfect. Was a, yeah. That would get very exhausting very quickly in terms of timeliness. How about Samantha Bee? Samantha Bee is too political for the Oscars. And John Stewart just wasn't the right fit. And I love John Stewart, but it just didn't trip with the Oscars. I say bring back Ellen, honestly. Ellen did a fantastic job. Yes, Ellen's job. a good choice. What about yeah. Kate McKinnon? Kate McKinnon would be cool. Kate McKinnon um, would be a lot of fun. And then everyone talked about Lin-Manuel Miranda. Lin-Manuel Miranda would be, yeah, I, I would like to see him, especially with like all the Disney connections that he has. You know, I'm sure ABC would love that. It's just a question of whether or not middle America knows who he is. I don't mean that as a smack against Middle America because obviously Hamilton and Moana, but it's like, is he a household name outside of those projects? Hmm. Okay, next question. Uh, this one comes from uh, Garen Groom. Would the reason be the Academy has never given Doris Day an honorary Oscar is probably due to the fact that she wouldn't agree to appear in person to accept? Oh, yeah, I think they've offered it and she just said she wouldn't come to the ceremony. Right, and I wonder <laughs> if this is uh, sometimes a question that I want to enter just a little bit more broad. Do you feel this is true, not just for Doris Day, but for other people for honorary recognition as well? Do you like? The, do you think this is a factor when they're considering who they're going to award each year? Well, sure, because they have a show that they're going to produce, and if the people aren't there to give the speeches and be there to accept the award, you know, why, why bother having it? Yeah. 
I love that Day refuses it. She's just like, no, I don't care about you people. <laughs> this one comes from Greg Pace on Twitter. For best picture, how important do you think rewatchability is? Not very. To win, not very. I, I think, think it just needs to make that one-time impression, and yep. then that'll be good enough. You would hope that you could put a movie on 30 years after it wins and have it still you know, be a piece of quality, but... You know, I don't think that's necessary in the moment when you're voting for what the winner is going to be. No, I mean, I was just endorsing what Katie said. I mean, you just need that one initial watch. You win. If you rewatch it and you're like, oh, wow, what did we do? Then you get like, you know, then you're stuck with it. Like, Right. Shakespeare in love, anybody? Hey, <laughs> Shakespeare in love is great. I like to think of it like like uh, 12 Years a Slave, the Schindler's Lists, where it's a hard watch. Um, and there, there were some people who will never watch those movies again, but the profound impact that they had on people when they watched it the first time was enough. If that, I think that makes the most sense. Um, last question, David Mitchell Baker, given the number of underperformers on the festival circuit, front runner, beautiful boy, destroyer, it seems that spots are opening up into picture and acting categories this year. Do you think that some of the year's indie darlings from earlier on in the year could sneak into picture and acting categories and steal these spots? Films such as Hereditary, First Reformed, Eighth Grade, maybe even mid-90s, which will all likely get a strong push from A24 in those categories. What are your thoughts? First Reformed, I think Ethan Hawke gets into Best Actor. Yep. Uh, no, 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 no. Yes, yes, yes. Look how many nominations. You literally have four people, Ryan, saying yes, and you're the only no. I just think that this is, I don't know, but you can't say yes to Ethan Hawke, but no to Tony Collette. You just can't. Well, like, which is why I'm saying yes a, to both. And I have been all year. It's a four-time no nominee I think versus this is a one-time nominee. Like, they both came out in the first half of the year. Like, what are, are we serious? Like, Yes, as long as films continue to underperform or not catch steam, these are proven films that people are still talking about. Absolutely. Hashtag Reformed, which hit a, I don't want to say it hit a bigger audience, but I think it's more accessible than Hereditary, which really has the ability to turn some people off. <laughs> that was creepy. Stop it. Will, what do you think? Especially like with Faith Grid. I, I think I think Hawk is a better shot than Colette. Okay. And I mean, like, you know, you can't look at those films, Hereditary, First Reformed, Eighth Grade, I, I guess mid 90s. I, I, it's a little bit unproven at the moment. We needed to screen a little bit more. But I don't see how you can look at those first three, especially Hereditary, First Reformed and Eighth Grade and say to yourself with A24 behind them that they can't show up anywhere. No, they can. I just don't. I think that we, we need to proceed cautiously with them. That's all I'm saying. And I, if we're still, if we're having the same conversation in December where, you know, half of the field has bowed out, then yes, we can take them more seriously. But I just think jumping the, the gun is not the best. Okay. Well, uh, a great example I want to just tie right into this and then um, we can go for this week is um, Mary Queen of Scots uh, was recently announced to be closing the AFI Film Festival this year. And that is a movie where we all kind of thought it was over for it and we didn't think it was going to make a splash at all on the festival circuit so having that spot i think has gotten some people who were previously writing off in many categories especially the acting for Saoirse Ronan and margot robbie it's kind of rejuvenated a little bit of interest um however uh will i think i think you're the one um you took a look at some films that have closed afi before well honestly opening afi a la um 
on the basis of sex, there's not a great track record. Closing AFI is not bad. That's what we determined. Right. Um, so closing night films last year was Molly's game. It was supposed to be all the money in the world, but factors happened. happened. Yeah. Uh, year before was Patriots Day, which yeah. But the year before that, that was when The Big Short premiered. And year before that was the Foxcatcher premiere. Year before that was Inside Lewin Davis. Uh, 2012, although it had screened in unfinished form at uh, New York Film Festival, the official premiere of Lincoln was there. Uh, Tintin was the year before that. Black Swan, A Single Man was the year before that. So there's there are some big films that have taken this spot. And what we learned is that Mary Queen of Scots just got in the can last week. So it may not have been so much that the film was bad, but rather it just wasn't done in time to go to New York or TIFF. Exactly. And regardless of what you think of a lot of those films, you just made the comparison there to Will that have uh, closed out AFI before. Pretty much if you take a census vote that those films are all broadly liked in some form or way. So... I don't know, track record is looking pretty good for Mary Queen of Scots to re-enter the conversation a little bit with us. All right. Well, with that said, it, we're running a little long this week. I understand that. So um, we were supposed to do a trailer review. We're going to push that uh, We're going to push that away, and we're going to give everyone uh, a chance to sign off, say anything else they want to say about this week, and have at it. So, Michael, any final thoughts on where they can find you on the Internet? You know, I think I've given all the thoughts that I have, <laughs> you know. Uh, we talked a lot about what we saw this past week, what was going on, and we did a nice job of covering it all. So you can find me on Twitter at Mike Movie. Ryan C. Showers. You can find me on Twitter at Ryan C. Showers. And Katie. You can find me on Twitter at KT underscore Schaefer. And Mr. Will Mathity. You can find me on Twitter at Mavericks Movies. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening to episode 110 of the Next Best Picture podcast, where you can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, also on CastBox and Acast. Be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate any feedback that you can provide to us. And if you're feeling generous, head on over to our Patreon page, where for $1 minimum a month, you can get some exclusive podcast content, some of which we talked about with the Throwback Review and the last Best Picture Series podcast reviews. Thank you so much for listening. We shall see you all next time. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.